The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. In this moment, there is plenty of time. In this moment, you are precisely as you should be. In this moment, there is infinite possibility. That's a little something I wrote in a book called Younger by the Day some years ago, and the coolest thing just happened. Last week, it was chosen as the quote for the day by hashtag Daily Calm. Pretty cool, huh? And I guess we can all use a little daily calm sometimes. Welcome, everybody, to the Main Street Vegan Program. I am Victoria Moran. Very happy to be your host. You know, we have been doing this show pretty much every Wednesday afternoon since June of 2012. That is some longevity in the 21st century, I would say. If you're a longtime listener, well, bless your healthy vegan heart and every other part of you. And if you're new, well, I'm really pleased you found us and we'll work uh, hard to deliver for you. If you'd like some input into what goes on here, we've got a podcast listeners group on Facebook, Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners, if you'd like to be in on that and be part of the inner circle. So today's show, after our break, we'll talk with Michael Schwarz of Treeline Cheese, who is a terrific guy with products that are as clean as his motives. And right now, we're going to talk with someone who was scheduled way back when people got together in big groups at giant convention centers. And some of that getting together was to present to the public innovations in plant-based foods and information on lifestyle medicine and plant-based living. But the COVID pandemic came along and put the kibosh on that for a while anyway. And so we've talked on the program about pivoting, about figuring out how to do our activism or our vegan business or whatever we're passionate about, despite circumstances. If you miss Stephanie Redcross from Vegan Mainstream, who was on a few weeks ago, she gave such great guidance for that for solopreneurs and small vegan business owners. 
but how does it work when you're doing something enormous? Oh, I'm really happy uh, to be bringing on for his second appearance, Ben David Davis of the Plant-Based World Conference, Conference and Expo, which happened last year, and it was enormous, and it was fabulous, and now we're in another era. Plant-Based World launched in 2019 at the Javits Center in New York City as the first and only professional trade show focused entirely on the growth of the plant-based market. And Ben, by the way, is also a music producer and performer with a vision to make the world a healthier place through food and music. Hey, Ben. Hi, Victoria. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to hear from you. So you have been uh, weathering the storm, I presume? You know, it has been uh, quite the interesting year, particularly for those of us uh, working for small event companies that are putting on large events. (laughs) We're not able to stick to the plan that we had coming into this year. But as you mentioned, it's been a prime time for pivoting. And uh, we've got some exciting things on the horizon, despite the circumstances. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, tell us about the event that happened in 2019. Now, I know a little about it because I was there and it was fabulous. But I want to hear about it from uh, the inside. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, as you know, the you know the event went off great last year in New York City in June, and we were really able to celebrate the launch of this concept that we dreamed up of bringing together not only the plant-based business industry, but also the healthcare component, and having education for doctors, and opening the doors to the general public on the second day, and really combining these audiences to create an experience that celebrated. Um, the existing uh, movement within the industry and also pioneered kind of the next phase of that. And we were ready to double the show in size this year um, in what was supposed to be June of 2020. We were on pace to have twice as many exhibitors. We were going to have 300 companies in the hall and twice as many attendees. And it was, you know, very, we were very excited about all of that with some of the major brands getting involved. Um, and, uh, you know, everything changed Come March, we were actually getting ready to go out to Anaheim for the Natural Products Expo, which was going to be a, a serious gathering of of all the progress that's been made in in the industry over the last year. And and as we all know, that didn't happen, and everything kind of changed from there. So we were we were left in this place where we had a, a highly engaged audience that was really excited for round two, um, and and kind of all of a sudden had to figure out what what comes next and certainly weathering the storm and and getting ourselves through to a place where we can hold events again. But at the same time, um, as as your opening quote uh, so eloquently put, you know, staying present with what is right now and and being realistic about what's in front of us so that we can also provide value to our community now and also in the future when we can hold events again. Right. And all of those things that you were going to celebrate at the Natural Products Expo that didn't happen it all happened anyway. You know, those things are still celebratory. So tell us what's going on in the plant-based foods industry. Oh, it's just an explosion right now. You know, even even with the crazy year, um, you know, obviously certain companies, depending on the corner of the industry they're in, you know, obviously food service brands are having a harder time than than, than established retail brands. And, and on the, the buying community side, there's a much different situation for the people in institutional food service and restaurants than it is for specialty and conventional grocery. And so that's been a real learning process for, for myself and our team 
to just learn a lot more about the interworkings of the food system and the food industry, um, to be able to understand who is experiencing what right now, and from there, how to provide value for these uh, people experiencing different challenges. Um, but on the whole, you're totally correct in that things aren't slowing down. If, if anything, you know, I think this whole centered topic around how we keep our bodies healthy, uh, how we build up immunity, um, so we're not just relying on whether it's vaccines or whatever it is to keep us healthy, we can actually make our bodies um, resilient. And people are turning towards what, what seems to me, and I know that the people in our community like the most um, simple and obvious solution, which is eating more plants and less animals. Um, and so I, I do see a lot of momentum continuing to build for that topic across the, around the world, and that is reflected in the business that we continue to see for the, the companies in this space. Mm. Well, something that I noticed last year at, at the expo was that the the presentations were all of our wonderful plant-based doctors. I mean, you got Dr. Ornish. It was, it was stunning. And yet the exhibitors were all in various degrees of processed foods, which the doctors <laughs> are largely saying, don't eat processed foods. So but to save the planet, we're going to have to have all of it. And you were so brave and, and so skillful in bringing these two groups together that I think may in the past have distrusted one another a bit. So how do you reconcile that? It's a, it's a really interesting question, and I appreciate the, the kind feedback there. And I, I think it was, it was really powerful to see those audiences and communities come together in a cohesive way. Um, and I would say that the the intention is really the most powerful thing. Um, from day one, our team set our intention to create a space where these different groups of people with, with different ways of viewing the world and different areas of expertise could come together and present what is most relevant and unique and meaningful to them, to the people who are ready to receive that, and at the same time be in the same space as other people doing similar work in different capacities and be able to connect on what our commonalities are rather than what our, you know, the things that we don't necessarily see eye to eye on. And, you know, obviously that can uh, expand well beyond just the vegan or plant-based or food industry to everything that's going on in the world right now. The more that we can set our intention to find the common ground and to create yes. space for each other to express what is meaningful to us, but also contributing towards something more, uh, something greater than us as individuals. Um, some powerful things really happen and it, and people want to connect, I think, you know, yeah. really what well, we do is with the space is created with that intention, the connection naturally happens. Mm. Well, from your mouth to God's ears on that one, I did have a fun conversation at, at the expo last year with Jay Morris Hicks. Uh, everybody check him out. He's been on the show a couple of times. He writes wonderful books about health and the environment. And he was one of your exhibitors, but instead of having a food product, he had an educational table helping people to learn about a whole foods plant-based diet. And I was kind of joking with him and saying, Wow, I think you're the only person here, you know, talking about vegetables. <laughs> and he was so sweet. He said, now, Victoria, if we waited for the world to eat like you and I eat, climate change would get all of us. There you <laughs> go. I just think, and not that I eat all that purely lest somebody see me take a bite of some other vegan something, but I'm pretty careful. 
And yet when I look at what's happened in the past couple of years in terms of of people seeing plant-based as a realistic cuisine choice, if not quite a whole lifestyle choice just yet, it's because of the foods and it's absolutely stunning. It is. And I, I, my, my prediction would be that by the time we're able to gather again, which hopefully will be spring of 2021, um, there will be a massive shift in that um, appearance as far as the health of the products. And that's just because that's where the competition is heading. There are now enough you know, burger uh, substitutes and chicken nugget substitutes and cheese substitutes that you know, people can now start to pick and choose which ones actually have the right ingredients and are um, making them feel good and fitting in with the greater picture of the diet of what they're wanting to put in their bodies. And that's going to drive the market towards cleaner labels and really creating these products that can have the taste and textures that we're looking for, but also uh, be much closer to, if not fitting within the guidelines that are laid out by, um, you know, our friends, the Plantrition Project and Four Leaf with, with James Hicks and some of the other folks that do focus on lifestyle medicine, um, but are also kind of reaping the benefits of these stepping stone foods that allow people to understand that they don't need to eat animals in order to survive. And that's a really important first step for the brain to kind of get past before all vegetables. (laughs) And I think also you don't have to eat animals to eat what you're used to, Mm -hmm. to eat what's familiar. We were having a meeting of some of my um, certified coaches who have been through the Main Street Vegan Academy program, and one of them who's a psychologist was saying, right now, the last thing you want to say to somebody is, I have this great way of life, and all you have to do is give up some stuff, Mm -hmm. because people feel like they've just given up a lot. (laughs) That's not the message for this moment. And you hit the nail on the head there for kind of the our philosophy in general about adding to people's lives. We fully believe that by attending plant-based world or just engaging with this this movement or lifestyle in any way at all, and you do that in a genuine manner that you will realize that there's so much to be added. There's so many new flavors and ingredients and colors that you can add to your life. Whether or not you choose to eliminate things you've eaten your whole life doesn't matter. You can add so much more by opening yourself up to this and just getting people to, to open up with delicious food is the, the, the quickest way to people's hearts, I've found. It, it is indeed. So what brought you here? I know you were on before and told us this, but your music and your kind of history that uh, got you plant-based is fascinating. Can you give us the short version? Absolutely. Yeah. So I I was uh, touring as an electronic music producer and non-traditional DJ. Uh, I I mix up some some unconventional, non-conventional vibes like bluegrass and folk and blues and jam music with kind of futuristic electronic hip hop dance beats. And it's uh, a pretty, pretty fun dance party for all all ages. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but uh, that that was what I was doing in from about 2013 to 2017 as as my full focus and the experience of traveling the country and getting to meet people and, and play festivals and all that really opened my myself up to uh, a wider perspective on things. And, and I ended up shifting my diet during that time, um, which opened me up to wanting to do something that could have a more direct impact on advancing that mission. 
Uh, and so the last few years, I've shifted the focus hard to the food space to launch the show. And then ever since the, we launched the show last year, have been um, integrating the music back in and, and kind of balancing things with a vision of the food really being a tool to heal the body and the body being a vessel to re then receive um, the healing power of, of the vibrations that come through in music. And so that's, Ooh. I think, the, the most simple I can put it because it's quite quite a big vision in my mind but you know it really comes to healing the body with the food and, and then um, sharing the connection that that music has the power to do um, as humans is is kind of the overall vision oh that's beautiful and I love it that that you haven't abandoned your art you know a lot of people it's like okay I'm gonna do this thing now this, this plant-based thing is going to change the world I'm gonna be like vegan capital V and that's all I will ever do and yet when you do what you've done and where your reputation is and you do it as a vegan, you do it in a way so that people get to know, oh, well, he eats differently and he seems pretty healthy. Let's check that out. I think it really helps the movement just as much, if not more, than in, if we just completely immerse ourselves in, uh, you know, the vegan bubble, as they say. Absolutely. And I get to bring the, the energy of the food movement and the vegan uh, philosophy into the music now, too, and Woo. to integrate that, whether it's lyrics or, um, you know, people I'm working with that can bring that idea to a new audience that might not have come to listen to the music for that reason, but they're introduced to new things. So it's all wow. creativity is always uh, inspiring itself, which is great. So people can find the expo information at plantbasedworldexpo.com. But what about your music? Where do we find that? Uh, you can find, so I go by Vibe Street and you can find it on, the best place would be Spotify. Just Spotify, okay. Vibe Street, V-I-B-E space S-T-R-E-E-T. -E -E and it'll pop up there. I'm also on SoundCloud and all the other streaming okay. platforms. Yeah. Wonderful. Cool. So what can we look for expo wise? I, I think you're doing Europe first. Is that the plan? Yes. So as of right now, we are scheduled to be doing Europe in April. And the, the climate over there is is a lot more um, advanced as far as coming out of the pandemic. And we have uh, a lot of activity with brands signing on and a lot of excitement happening for the Europe show in April. Um, and there's info for that on our plantbasedworldeurope.com website. And where will that be exactly? At the Business Design Center in London. Ooh, wonderful. My favorite city. <laughs> yes, I'm excited. To, I've, I haven't spent much time there, so I'm excited to be able to cross the pond. And then as far as New York goes, we are hopeful um, of the spring in New York City, uh, but the situation is still too fluid for us to be able to say anything certain on that. Yes. Okay. Well, London. Oh, my gosh. Okay. i got to tell you my favorite restaurant, <laughs> my favorite little area. There is obsession. <laughs> There's a place near Covent Garden. It's a it's a little pocket and it's called Neil's Yard. And headquartered there are Neil's Yard Remedies, which is this wonderful body care line that's all eco-friendly and packaged in glass and everything. And there is uh, Neil's Yard Remedies, where you can go and get every kind of body work and all kinds of treatment that you've heard of or never heard of. And then there is a lovely little restaurant up on the second floor that is Wild Food Cafe. And it's one of those places where it doesn't matter what you order. You just have a few bites and you know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I have to write this down. Yeah. Sorry. I'll I'll email it to you. Okay. So, <laughs> so what 
is your vision right now? I mean, obviously, we have had this colossal speed bump, but looking ahead towards a plant-based future, do you think we're going to beat climate change? I mean, do you think we're going to do this? Do you think people are going to get on board in the numbers that we need? What's your vision? So, yeah, I, I absolutely. I believe that everything is in alignment right now, and I continue to receive um, reassurance of that feeling from from all sorts of things going on in my own life and the people that I'm working with. And so I feel very, I'm full of faith in the future of our movement and our planet and our species and all of those things. Um, I just, I also believe that it's certainly going to take a lot of focus and a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, intentional connection to, to do that. Um, and the beautiful thing, at least in my world right now, is is the seeing of that manifest kind of before my eyes and whether it's through music or through the work that we're doing um, in the plant-based movement connecting with people in a time when there are so many challenges is what's giving you know reassuring that faith um, and every time that I have another conversation whether it's with a, a food brand or someone else doing powerful work in uh, Africa or Germany some of the calls that I've had recently of, of people all advancing these topics around the world um, this time, as much as a speed bump or a setback as it can appear to be, has been absolutely vital for inspiring creativity and forcing people to kind of go within and not be distracted by the commotion of the external world um, and the coming up with ideas that can really change things that might not have happened if it was business as usual all year. Um, and I think we've been able to do that, you know, internally. Uh, as a, as a trade show company needing to stay engaged with our audience during this time when we can't hold a trade show and seeing so many others have success doing that as well, I feel like it's just the beginning for um, a, a serious wave of inspiration like we've never seen before. Wow, I love it. So, Ben, I just know you with your business hat on, but some of the things you've said here today, you sound like a really spiritual guy. Do you have a spiritual life that you can talk about? Uh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say that I connected to my spiritual side in this in the same consistent uh, shift towards my change in diet a few years back. Um, the music kind of opened me up to being ready for that kind of shift. And then the food really allowed my body to, I think, let go of a lot of the weight that it was holding on to from all of the, the meat and, and dairy and animal products I had eaten for the first 25 years of my life. Um, and I uh, began to connect more deeply with, um, you know, spiritual practice, yoga, meditation, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but would really sum it up now as my, my spiritual practice has brought me back to just my own sense of purpose and what brings me uh, joy and meaning and brings out my passions in life. And that has really kind of come down to the work that I do on music, the work that I do on bringing delicious and healthy food to people and being able to share that with my friends and family. And I've realized that being able to kind of be grounded in those things that are meaningful to me um, is, is kind of the most effective spiritual practice that I can have. Oh, that's lovely. So let's go from the sublime to the delicious. What are your favorite plant-based foods, uh, homemade and commercial? Mm. Well, I'm going to start off with what I was just snacking on before we, uh, before I got on with you today, which was something really simple, which is just some quinoa and this dish that I've been making, which is just coconut cream kale. 
And lime, garlic, coconut cream, and kale. That's it. Just put it in a put it in a pot until the kale gets soft and soaked in with the coconut cream. Um, and so that I is on the top of my head because it is what's in my body right now. Um, but my go-to is pretty much anything with peanut sauce. I love making homemade peanut sauces and any combination of grains and vegetables or noodles and just smothering it in peanut sauce. It's the what, best. Just tell us an easy way to make peanut sauce. Um, okay. I think it's a minimalist baker recipe that was the basis for this. And I okay. never use like, I don't use, um, measurements. So I've kind of just freestyled from there, but it's peanut butter, uh, lime juice, soy sauce, the chili garlic sambal, that red chili sauce that you find at the Thai restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, something sweetener. I usually use maple syrup. Um, and then just water to thin it out to the texture that you want. And so that's like the base for it. And I'll do that and then kind of add in whatever random ingredients I, my eyes see that seem good, like sesame oil or other spice. There was like a coconut sriracha I found recently that I put in there. It's pretty awesome. Wow. Well, this feels like a sign to me because I happen to have everything you mentioned, every ingredient (laughs) in my kitchen. So that must mean that that's what I'm supposed to have for dinner. I will add one. With some grains and vegetables, of course. Yes, yes. And one tip that I learned from my good friend, Pete Cervoni, who's an executive chef for our uh, Good Catch, one of our favorite companies at the trade show. I I was really looking for some advice on a pad thai sauce Uh that doesn't contain fish sauce. Um, And because I always make this peanut sauce and I love it, but it doesn't give me the pad thai feeling Mm -hmm. that I would be used to at a restaurant. And so Pete advised me to use uh, some rice vinegar and the nori seaweed sheets. Ah. I crunch those up with the rice vinegar mm-hmm. and it adds this kind of sea, sea kind of taste to it. Um, and so if you want to take the peanut sauce to a pad thai sauce, that's a simple trick for you. And thank you, Pete, for that one. Yeah. Well, that that is fascinating. I, I remember when I first realized that fish sauce existed. I'd been going to Thai restaurants for years, just assuming all was well. <laughs> And then I was out with another vegan who said, hold the fish sauce. And I'm like, the what? Yep. So. And, and then, then you become super sensitive to it. And now I can tell like the moment that the takeout enters the door of the house, if they accidentally put my fish sauce on it. And... Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the things we learn and, yeah. and, and the ways that, you know, we kind of uh, maneuver these things in, in the ways that make sense to us and work for us as you're maneuvering the great big world out there in this bizarre time in history. But. We'll see you in London, at least some of us will, and hopefully New York, fingers crossed, too. And we can all listen to your music on uh, Spotify and SoundCloud. So thank you so very much, Ben Davis, plantbasedworldexpo.com. We're going to save ourselves a planet. Thanks so much for being with us today. Everybody else, stay with us through these messages, and we're going to be back with some good old cheese and a wonderful cheese guy. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio.
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. This is always the point in the show when I say that if you are new to us and you haven't checked out MainStreetVegan.net, I cordially invite you to do that. Or maybe you checked it out a while back and uh, would like to visit again and see what's new. You can subscribe there to our list and get our wonderful weekly blog and occasional newsletters. You can check out Main Street Vegan Academy, where we train vegan lifestyle coaches and educators in a fabulous certification program. And you can also look at the retreat coming up. That's September 26th and 27th. It's called Acing Age with Ayurveda. This is going to be two luxurious days of learning and self-care. And if you're over, yeah, I don't know, 45. It just might be the best thing you have done for yourself in a good long time. So there's a slider about it at MainStreetVegan.net or you could go to tinyurl.com slash retreat. And we'll also put that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, where you can also find our two wonderful guests today. And by the way, if you choose to attend the uh, Acing Age with Ayurveda retreat, we have a nice 20% discount for listeners. So just put P-O-D for podcast in capital letters in the discount box, and uh, that will be yours. And now, moving on to why we're here, which is to talk with amazing, wonderful people, my next guest is Michael Schwarz. He is an attorney-turned-cheese whisperer, a native of South Africa, and an adopted New Yorker, well, New York Stater, and the founder of Treeline Cheese. It is one of the leading vegan cheese brands, and I have to tell you, it is always, always in my kitchen. I love it to pieces. And yet, it's not addictive. It doesn't sing to me and make me want to get up in the night and eat cheese. But when I do eat it, it is exquisite. And it makes me feel good about what I ate, not just because it tasted so good, but because it is, quite frankly, as pure as the driven snow. Welcome, Michael Schwarz. Thanks for having me, and thanks for saying all those nice things about tree life. And I really appreciate that. Well, it's really true. There are some wonderful vegan cheeses now, which is just fantastic because of all the vegan foods we used to be ashamed of. It was the cheeses, I think, <laughs> that that we kind of most said, well, you know, they're not that great, but they'll get better. Well, you know, they not only have gotten better, they have gotten phenomenal. And and I always say to people that yours and some of the others are cheeses that you could serve to French people. And that's not anything that I thought I would live to see. Yeah, you know, that's really what I tried to achieve with creating this product, because I, I have to admit that before I became vegan, I really enjoyed going to France and Italy and eating really good cheese. And I thought there has to be a way. There has to be a way of of satisfying that without cruelty and without something that's bad for you. 
So, uh, you know, I think I have tried it out on some French people and yes, they, they do like it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we did that too. There's a, a restaurant in, in Greenwich Village that's a vegan French restaurant. And I'm trying to say the name and it's just behind my brain. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, that's right. Delise and Sarazan. And we took a French person there and and he's kind of a skeptical French person, <laughs> but every course passed. It was really, it, it was wonderful to see how, how he took to that. Well, one of the things I love about Treeline, Michael, is that it doesn't have coconut oil in it. And so many of the cheeses do. And I think a lot of people are not uh, concerned about that. But there is high cholesterol in my family going back to the Stone Age. And so the last thing I want to do is put in something that is is a total saturated fat in, into my body. And so I'll read, you know, the ingredients and I'll buy the vegan cheeses that don't have the coconut oil. And I don't think any of yours do. Yours are just cashews and acidophilus and spices and a little Himalayan salt. Yeah, well, we don't use Himalayan salt, but just just for the record. Okay, let's t- let's get it's it. Sea salt, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, this is a really important point, and it's something that's it's really I feel very strongly about, and that is one of the reasons to be vegan. Certainly not the only, but one of them is human health, and saturated fat is just not good for you. And so many vegan cheeses have it in the form of coconut oil, and it's not doing the people who eat it any good, and it's not doing the cause any good, in my opinion. Um, We are about to bring out some new cheeses, which are uh, slices and shreds, and we've designed these cheeses to be made out of um, sunflower oil, which not only has very low saturated fat, but also has um, a monounsaturated fat, which is the best kind of fat for you. So this is a, this is part of our mission: is is to you know hit all the reasons for being vegan, human health being one of them. And there's another issue that really troubles me about coconut oil, and and that's these reports you get of the use of monkeys that are trained to go and pick the coconuts. And in my view, anytime people see an opportunity to make money out of animals, the money comes first and the animals come second. And this is another thing that really troubles me about coconut oil. I don't know how widespread this is, but if it is, this is a problem for vegans. Yeah, I think once we step onto that moving walkway with vegan on it, you know, we we become responsible for whatever we know. I mean, we certainly can't be responsible for what we don't know, but you know, once something comes into our field of vision, it, it's it's up to us to make um, responsible choices. So, just tell us your story, Michael. I know you were on a long time ago, but just just update us on how you started, how you became vegan. And uh, how how you left your lawyer's robe for a cheesemaker's apron? <laughs> okay, um, so I grew up in South Africa, and um, I grew up during the some of the worst years of apartheid. 
which for those who are too young to remember, the, that enforced racial segregation. And my parents were very active in fighting against apartheid. And we were brought up to believe, firstly, that just because other people are doing something, that doesn't make it right. And we saw people doing appalling things and my parents were adamant that we should not indulge in that type of stuff. And secondly, they, they made us believe that if, if you aren't doing something to solve the problem, you, you become the problem. And that really is what informed my choice to become vegan, because I realized that what was wrong with apartheid is also wrong with the way human beings treat animals for food. Now, that's the, the sort of backdrop. Um, I became a, an electrical engineer and intellectual property lawyer. I did that for several years. And one day I just decided I wanted to do something different. And I decided to combine my very strong belief in animal rights and, and veganism with my <laughs> taste for really good food. I saw an opportunity and I just set about creating a product which would both satisfy my sort of um, philosophical views and also be something that the public wanted and that there was a, a demand for. And that's really how I started Treeline. I started in my kitchen and today, you know, we're in thousands of stores nationwide and growing fast. So uh, I, 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 I don't know what else I can tell you without really going into granular detail, but if you ask questions, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> well, I, I have a, a, I don't know if this counts as, as a granular detail, but I, I know you feel strongly about helping animals and some people would say, well, then why did you go into business? You could have started a animal sanctuary you know the two reasons i did my fair share of protesting both in south africa against apartheid and in this country against fur and factory farming and animal experimentation but i came to the conclusion that the the reason why all these things happen is because there's a consumer demand that keeps them going and, you know, the reason why McDonald's sells billions of burgers is because people buy them and they've created this this monster of cruelty and it damaged the environment and bad human health. And the only way we can actually change things is if we create something that will rival that. And business is really the vehicle by which you do that. There's only so much you can do by having a farm sanctuary. I, I strongly support the, the farm sanctuary movement, specifically farm sanctuary as an organization. And I think we'll talk about that later, about the, the tree line matching grants to farm sanctuary. But all they can do really is get people aware of problems and help individual animals but a business that provides an alternative to animal agriculture actually changes the way society works. And that, I feel very strongly that 
that this is a vehicle for social justice. And I agree with you 100%. So let's do move, move on to Farm Sanctuary. So tell us about the matching grant. So a few years ago, um, I had been supporting Farm Sanctuary and I thought, well, why don't we um, work with them to get the word out about what they do and also you know, make people aware of Treeline and we worked with the people there to do this matching grant. And I think it's now been five years that we have um, offered to match donations up to $10,000 for a period of time. And uh, we, we did this to help out some specific calves that um, needed help. And it's, it's just been a really great success and I, I hope to do it indefinitely and I hope it'll grow and we'll match up to more than 10,000 in the future. Oh, that's fantastic. And I know that you recently adopted a particular little being. Tell us about him. Well, you know, I don't know much about him except his name is Dixon. (laughs) um, I think he's got some friends at Farm Sanctuary from previous adoptions, like Cashew was our first one. Ah. And so, yeah, he's, <laughs> you know, I think it's really important to personalize this because these animals have feelings and personalities and the, the, the sort of the industry is trying to deny that, even though they try and sell their product by claiming they're really nice to animals, but they deny the individuality of these animals. And I think we need to personalize it. Absolutely. I love that. Oh, Dixon. Oh, well, when we can travel again, that's that's on the list. <laughs> I got a farm well, sanctuary. There, there's something I want to I want to just say to you because yes. my journey in this was influenced by you. Ah, in a very strange way that you may not remember, but I I came to a book signing years ago at the uh, studio of Peter Max. And you you talked about a cow that was a dairy cow that was going to slaughter and that it didn't want to go in and the farmer whistled and the cow trusted him and ended up in the slaughterhouse. And that's that story had a a really big impact on me. It it, it, I, I can't it's something I can't I didn't see it, but I can't get that image out of my head. And it, it reminded me that this is a personal thing. These are animals with feelings. And so you, you had a very big role in <laughs> my making the decision to go into the business that I'm in and support um, um, farm sanctuary in relation to dairy. Oh, well, gosh, <laughs> thank you. That, you that is. That? Well, I certainly remember meeting you and uh, doing the book signing there uh, and and probably telling that story. It's in Main Street Vegan. I also tell it in the film A Prayer for Compassion because uh, for me, it's her story. And, and if she had to go through what she went through, then at the very least, her story needs to change people. And whenever I hear that, 
it has, I, I feel like it's somehow a victory for her. And that experience also really got me clear on, on the whole humane meat thing. The idea that if you get your meat from small farms, they have one bad day, but it's all, you know, it's such a betrayal. It is such a betrayal. I mean, this cow obviously trusted people and in return for her trust, she was killed. It, it's just so, so wrong. Yeah, I, and, and that's why it had such an impact when you told that. I think it was that betrayal that, um, you know, I thought, you know, I really thought about my own dogs that I had and imagined, imagine doing that to your dog, you know, where the, the, do the dog perks up his ears because you whistle and then you, you kill him, you know, it just, it's just so awful. It, it is so I indeed. I don't want to be too down, you know. I don't want to bring this down too much, but I just I I haven't spoken to you for a while, and I just wanted to remind you of how that story that you told had such an impact. Oh, thank you. That that means the world. Thank you for for telling me. So, um, what's what's happening with you, Michael? What's new? What's new for Treeline? You did talk about a couple of innovations. I don't know if. Uh, if we brought that up too early, but that's very cool that you're going to have slices and shreds. Yeah, we're really excited about them because these are, as I said, very low in saturated fat. They're really the only um, slices and shreds that are made of um, sunflower oil and are very, really, really healthy. And they, they, we've also cultured the, we make them with cashew nuts as well. And we culture the cashew nuts. So they have this really cheesy taste without any of the um, high saturated fat that you see both in dairy cheese and in um, a lot of the vegan cheeses. Yeah. yeah, and then you have your wonderful classic products too. I mean, the the sliceable chunks that are just so perfect on like a, a cheese and fruit plate, and then you have the wonderful spreads with all the different, um, you know, different flavorings. They're so tangy. The green onion and and the what's the one with the black? The little um, is it the crack? This cracked pepper. Crack pepper, that's the one. The cracked yeah. pepper. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> They're all great. So now I've got um, uh, cream cheeses, and we've got um, plain chive and onion and strawberry. Nice. So those are slowly rolling out to stores. Um, and then at the beginning of next year, we are going to start making the, the slices and shreds. Wonderful. So the, the big development with... Treeline is that we've gone from just being a, a tiny little company to a real company. I've hired a, a CEO out of mainstream food, and I've got some investors who are very, very experienced in food. So we, we're really taking on the, the, the dairy cheese market. I love and, it. Yeah, we're trying to convince more what, what, what is called flexitarians. I, I've never understood that term because everyone eats vegetables. So why why are you suddenly a flexitarian? But in any event, we we want flexitarians to eat vegan cheese. Yes, 
And and why not when when it, it tastes every bit as good and it's better for you and it saves the animals. Plus, it's just classy. I know we're not quite there yet, but I think that what we're going to come to is that eating animal products will be seen as smoking cigarettes, that some people still do it, but it has not been cool in a while. So I, I think that's a sort of critical mass that we're going to make it to and that maybe people who, who don't quite um, warm to the issues immediately will at least want to look good to their fellow yeah. humans. Well, it's like wearing fur, you know. Yes. Today, wearing fur is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. And and we see all that's happening in, in that industry with just by the day, which is phenomenal. So you mentioned, Michael, about the cashew nuts. So tell us about cashew nuts and why of all the nuts are cashews kind of special for cheese? And then where do you source yours? Well, they, they're really good for cheese for two main reasons. The first is that they have a good fat content and can be ground down into a fine paste. The, the second is they don't have a very strong flavor, unlike almonds and peanuts, which have very strong flavor. Um, so they, they work very well, and as it happens, you can ferment them. So that, that makes them really good for cheese. Then the sourcing, uh, we... This is, a, this is a sort of a touchy subject which relates to ethics and the interface of veganism with with human rights because I don't believe it's it's acceptable to be concerned about animals and not be concerned about people. So the the, the production of cashew nuts can be quite a nasty business and is is not great for the people who do it by hand. So we source the the cashew nuts exclusively from Brazil where they are processed by machine. And people don't have to touch them um, and get damage to their um, to their hands and burns on their hands and things like that. And did you find this out before you started your company or, or were you getting the cashews from somewhere else and you learned this? It's it's amazing to me. This isn't just information that most people are walking around with. Yeah, you know, I did a bit of research on it and I have to say I found it quite disturbing when I saw the, the, the YouTube videos of people who uh, had been processing cashew nuts by hand because there's a, a very corrosive oil around the, the cashew and I, I was very concerned about that and I, I, I dug deeper and discovered that Brazil generally, not ex exclusively, but generally processes uh, by machine. So this is not a, an issue. The other thing is that we we found that you know there there's some pretty bad labor practices around the world and luckily Brazil has a pretty regulated labor market and we've got much better assurances that people are being treated right. Yes. Um, and it also happens that the cashews are really high quality. Ah. But you know they are more expensive and you know I I could source cashew nuts at at a much much lower price. 
but I just feel like it's 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 not worth it. And you know, if, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just. Gonna, you're so right. My grandmother always told me. You always want to do what you know is right because you never really get by with anything. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's kind of stuck with me. It's like, you know, you could do it and maybe nobody would ever know, but you would know. And that's just not the kind of person you are. And I do think it gets a little tricky. You know, sometimes people say, you know, the certain plant foods that have some of these practices that are not great. It's like, well, that's not vegan. And then, then there's the argument of, okay, how difficult do we want to make this for people? And absolutely, anybody who cares about animals needs to care about people. And, and I think we should be happy to learn about this stuff and, and be able to source things in, in ways that are, are kind to all concerned. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there are people who say, oh, you vegans, all you care about is animals. And that's just not true. I yeah. think people become vegan because they are com compassionate. And in the same way as we're not more compassionate to one animal than another, for example, you, you're not more compassionate to your dog than you are to a cow, right? Similarly, right. we ha have to be at, at least as compassionate to our fellow human beings. And... Uh, and anybody who's vegan and feels like it's okay to abuse people, they're sort of barking up the wrong tree, you know? They they are indeed. Yeah, this has really got to be a movement of love. I remember in the old days, Jay Dinshaw, when he founded the American Vegan Society, the publication was Ahimsa, <laughs> you know, harmlessness, nonviolence, yeah. to all. And that's what you really exemplify, Michael Schwarz and Treeline Cheese. Find out more at treelinecheese.com, Treeline Cheese on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, happy eating. And thanks to both of our guests today. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting and to everybody listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies and your vegan cheese. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.